Amen to that. Hey, good morning, friends. My name is Greg DeMay, and I'm still one of the pastors here. Uh, thank you for your kindness and support. Uh, I confess I'm feeling quite um, honored and humbled and more than a, uh, a little nervous. And the word I keep saying is trembly. I feel a little trembly over all this. Um, thank you. Yes, please. Um, Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church is such a great place. I am blessed and fortunate to serve here and uh, so excited and enthusiastic about um, what the future might hold for us as a community and wider community by God's grace. Um, so in thinking about this transition, I've, I've been hearing in my head this question, what do you do for a living? And how I might respond to that question moving forward. I mean, this is perhaps the most common question in the world. That's a conversation starter when you run into a new person or when you're at a, a party. Hey, what do you do for a living? By the way, kids under 10 never ask this question. <laughs> we probably should follow their example. I mean, kids are like, hey, I like playing in the sand. Do you like playing in the sand? Well, let's play in the sand. But being grown-ups, we ask this open-ended question. Hey, what do you do for a living? And people are free to share kind of just on a surface level if they want, if they want to go into something deeper, you can take it there. Um, and even though my job description is in the process of changing, um, I think what I say, Lord willing, will still be the same. Um, typically I say something like, well, I play music sometimes in church, sometimes not in church, but I really love helping people sing together. I love talking about the Bible because I believe that all the necessary wisdom for the human race is included in this ancient book we call the Bible. I mean, maybe not all the scientific knowledge, but all the necessary wisdom for the human race is there. And then typically I say something like, I get to accompany and occasionally help guide people through the twists and turns, the highs and lows of the spiritual life, and together we try to find some inspiration to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ every step of the way. I get to do that. In mulling over this question, hey, what do you do for a living? I had this weird thought. What if God showed up at a dinner party and somebody asked him the question, hey, what do you do for a living? What do you think God would say? I think he would say something like this. Well, it's funny you ask. I'm a father a son, and a Holy Spirit. I think that would be a beautiful, true, great answer from the Holy Trinity. Notice I didn't say, well, I do this, I do that, and I do another thing. God, I think, would say, I am a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. See, with God, what he does and who he is are perfectly integrated. With us human beings, I would make the case that our lives are happier when who we are in our core created nature, who God has designed us to be, and what we are doing day to day with our hands and our words, when those are integrated, that is a happy state of affairs. 
I occasionally run into unhappy people, you know, who are plumbers by day and collage artists by night. And they just, they wish they were collage artists. You know what I'm saying? There's this great old song, Piano Man. Nine o'clock on a Saturday, regular crowd shuffles in. There's an old man sitting next to me. Yeah, yeah, his tonic and gin. Every character in this song is not integrated in their being and doing. Paul is a real estate novelist. Never had time for a wife. Talking to Davy, who's still in the Navy. Doesn't want to be, probably still be for life. I really like that song, but it's so sad because no one has an integrated life in the song. God is perfectly integrated. In the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at who God is and God's job description as Holy Spirit here on Pentecost Sunday. Next Sunday, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then on American Father's Day, God's role and identity as God the Father. A couple months ago, uh, there was a sermon here. God's word came to us from Ezekiel chapter 37. And there's an incredible scene in that passage where there's a, a vision of a valley full of dead, dried out bones. Some of you were here for this. It's kind of a creepy scene, all these bones. And then God's spirit shows up, the wind of God, the breath of God, and God's spirit breathes over that valley and the bones start to crack and reassemble back into place. And then they are retended and then refleshed. And finally, they are reanimated when God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. This at its core is what God's spirit does. He brings life. He brings breath. On that particular Sunday, uh, I encouraged everybody to focus on this question. What's killing you today? And to invite God's breath, God's spirit, to breathe into that part of your life. Now today's mention message is an extension and an expansion of this passage in Ezekiel 37 on what the Spirit does, but we're going to delve into how, how the Spirit of God accomplishes this, how the Spirit of God brings us to life. Of the three members of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the one that we speak about the least, at least in our Christian Reformed tradition. It's the one we speak about the least. It's the member of the Trinity that we pray to directly the least. It's the one that we sing about this morning, notwithstanding, the least. The Holy Spirit, if I can put it this way, I'm kind of kidding, is the member of the Holy Spirit who is most shy and gentle in his coming. Is the Holy Spirit an it, a he, a she? The Bible speaks in all of these ways. We don't even know that. What the Holy Spirit loves to do is call attention to other members of the Trinity. The Spirit is never about shining the spotlight on itself. It is always deferential in giving glory. Here's the best way I know to illustrate this. At the core of our faith uh, is the cross, right? The work of Jesus Christ. It's the highest point in this room. I'm going to use my meager artistic skills to try to render one right here. 
Everybody see this? Like, this is the heart of Christianity. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. The blood of Christ washes away all our sins. But Jesus' death is not the only thing that accomplished it. At the center is an empty tomb. This round circle for the blood of Christ that washes away our sins, and not just the cross, but Jesus' resurrection and the power that comes out of the life that the Spirit of God, which breathed back into him. And from the cross and the grave, there goes out to every corner and atom of the universe, ah, oh, power and presence and glory. And Lord willing, someday every atom in the universe will reflect that glory back to Jesus himself. Now, if this is what's at the center of our faith, if you will pretend for just a moment that I am the Holy Spirit, okay? Here's what the Holy Spirit does. I'm hiding, okay? You buying what I'm putting down here? Like, this is the work of the Holy Spirit to always point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. If you've ever had the experience where you have found your attention or interest or affection drawn to the person of Jesus, like, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. If ever you find your imagination, your heart, your passion thinking, oh my goodness, the love of God for me is so awesome. That is the Holy Spirit bubbling up and working within you. The Holy Spirit, the main job of the Spirit is not to point at itself, but to point to Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit, as far as I can tell from the pages of Scripture, has two main strategies of how to accomplish this giving the gifts of the Spirit and growing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to share two passages with you and just reflect a little bit on those two things that the Holy Spirit would accomplish for you personally and in the course of our church. I'm going to read to you a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Fantastic. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says or can say, Jesus be cursed. Right? The Holy Spirit will never dishonor Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never point away from Jesus. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is always pointing to Jesus, honoring Jesus. Now, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Here comes the laundry list. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. By the way, this list is not meant to be comprehensive. In other parts of the New Testament, there are different lists that include prayer and speaking in tongues and making music improvising, administration, financial order, uh, all kinds of gifts. To another, prophecy is given. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. 
and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Like, this is better than Christmas, the amount of gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. Now, typically, when we talk about Holy Spirit gifts, um, there is a certain fire and passion and energy that comes along with these gifts. I mean, if you've ever been in the room when someone is directly receiving a word of knowledge from the Lord and sharing it, like, oh, it makes your spine tingle when you recognize the Spirit is present in the room that way. If you've ever been in a room where people are speaking in tongues, where someone is improvising a spontaneous song of worship to God that has never been heard before, like, there's a fire and a heat and an energy about these gifts. And God promises, wherever my spirit falls, these gifts pop up. It didn't just happen 2,000 years ago on Pentecost that, hey, there was a really amazing sermon. The gifts of the spirit exist to this day. But here's the thing about the gifts of the spirit. Sometimes when the church of Jesus gets too interested and obsessed with these gifts, we get a little sidetracked because the gifts of the Spirit, in many cases, are easy to fake. You heard that right. The gifts of the Spirit can be easy to fake. If I wanted to convince you that I was having a really powerful Holy Spirit experience, like because I've practiced music a lot, I could sit down at the piano and just like play you a song. It might sound interesting, but it may or may not be driven by the Spirit. If we want to convince people that we're having a heartfelt experience with God, like, I mean, this isn't easy for people who are socially conservative to do, but it really is easy to do. You just lift your hands and lift your, your face, and you may or may not be overcome by a flood of Holy Spirit energy at that point. You may just be trying to look impressive to your neighbors. Even when the Spirit inspires generosity, I mean, if we have a lot of money, you can fake wholeheartedly writing a check. All of the things that we think of as incredible gifts of the Holy Spirit are prone to charlatanism. This does not take away from the beauty of the gifts, the necessary nature of the gifts, uh, our need for them as a congregation. It's just to say they're not the end-all and be-all of everything. The gifts represent passion and fire. Love that happens between us and communion with God. To balance out the gifts, God also desires to grow the fruit of the Spirit within us and within the church. I read this passage earlier, but hear it once again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, 
Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, being faithful on a day-to-day level may not be as dramatic or as impressive as being charismatic. Being gentle does not draw attention to yourself the way being a super energetic public speaker does. But God desires both of these things to happen within you and within the church. The gifts of the Spirit can happen in a sudden wave of heat. The fruits of the Spirit take years and years to grow in the good soil of a life that is lived in the company of Jesus. Now, when you encounter a virtue in another person or another Christian that you sense that their behavior has been like growing in this direction for years and decades and ages in the making, it fills you with a wonder that also points to Christ. Have you ever had the experience where you wonder, how could this person be so patient right now? Oh my goodness, how could this person be so generous given what they just did to them? About 10 years ago, uh, I was talking to uh, a guy named Bob from a different state than this. He was very, very sick. Bob was very concerned because his oldest daughter uh, had just turned her back on the faith, um, had a lot of pain in her life because of uh, some decisions that she had made, and Bob, thinking that he did not have that much longer to live, was desperate to pray for his daughter's heart to turn around. Uh, after talking and listening with Bob about a half hour into this conversation, I, I honestly felt like God gave me a word to say to him, so like a gift from the Holy Spirit to Bob. And I said to him, Bob, how would you feel if God answered your prayer for your daughter after you die? Would you be okay with that? Because part of his pain was like, I can't let go of this life not seeing my daughter come back to God. And he listened to that gift from the Holy Spirit. And then he started crying. And then he started laughing his head off. I mean, seriously, like laughing. He had this incredible spiritual release. And he kept saying, yes. Yes, I can trust God to do that. I feel so happy. I want to dance. And he was not in good health or real energetic, and he stood up and and danced, and he started singing, this crazy guy. Uh, He is still alive today, and God has answered this prayer in the land of the living for him. But the true miracle, in my opinion, was seeing the joy the fruit of the spirit of joy that flowed forth from the sick man's heart. I mean, this is a guy who had been walking with God for a long time. Became a Christian as an adult, but decades with God. That God could produce in his physical sickness and in his desperation on behalf of his own child such an enormous joy. How is that possible? When the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit come together, that is when awesome things that nobody under the sun can explain apart from the power and the presence of God, that is when those kind of things 
happen because Jesus is being pointed to by the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. All right, that was kind of heavy. Here's kind of a couple lighthearted examples. Here's what we are supposed to be like. We are supposed to be like the species of dog known as the pointer. Once guns were invented about, about 500 years ago in Europe, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the English started breeding dogs to know my master is looking for this kind of quail. And when I'm in the presence of this kind of quail, I point. That's the single reason for this breed of dog to exist, to point to something else. This is why we exist as human beings, to point to something else. Now, what if a pointer just was like, you know, it's walking through the woods and it's like, mm. that would be a useless dog, right? Here's the humbling thought. How much of our time do we spend in life, friends, walking, going like this? It does not make for a happy life. It does not make for a full life, a wise life. If you can't imagine yourself as a dog, imagine yourself as a compass. Its sole job is to point to magnetic north. This is how human beings used to find their way before we all had a digital compass in our pocket. What if a compass had a needle that just stood straight up and pointed back down at itself? Totally useless. This is what we are like as human beings. We have been designed <laughs> to use our magnetic powers to point to the presence of God and to Jesus Christ. And when we don't orient our lives in that way, when we have a self-oriented life and we just keep pointing everything in life back to ourselves, it does not make for a good life. What if, church, what if we used our jobs, our schools, our Facebook, seriously, our Instagram, our Finstagram, and we found ways to point to a higher, deeper, more beautiful reality than just our own little lives. This isn't to say that we're going to totally forget ourselves, but that we desire on some level to point to someone more lovely than ourselves. Pointing to Jesus brings contentment and life. Pointing to yourself all the time brings disappointment. And in the eternal picture, death. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives us life when we allow ourselves to be pointed to the cross of Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives us double life when we ourselves become the pointers. If you want to be happy, being pointed and then pointing is the best way. A final example. Uh, there's this couple in our old neighborhood that I would routinely see in their mid-80s. 
walking down the street. They would walk to the jewel every day. They would be holding hands, talking to each other. Then you'd see them about 20 minutes later walking, walking home, holding hands, little jewel bag in the other hand. Awesome picture of a good life. When we are young and fall in love, it's a phase in life that I would say is like when we experience the gifts of the Spirit, the passion of the Spirit, young love, the fire and obsession, all the looks, the touches, the whispers, the single-minded train of thought, the obsessions. It's all I can think about all the time. Like It's like that when you come to Christ and fall in love with God for the first time, too. It's just overwhelming. But just like in human life, living that way is totally unsustainable. Like you can do it for a few months, maybe 18 months or a couple years, but if you stayed like in that kind of passionate love, you would go crazy and you would drive everybody else crazy. So eventually, if you stick together, you settle into uh, what I'll call middle-aged love or mid-marriage I mean, this is when maybe you've been together for a few decades. Maybe you've had kids. Uh, and then it's like your family becomes like running a small business. I mean, you're paying the bills. You're transporting everybody under the sun. It's not that you don't love each other anymore. It's just that those moments of fire and passion happen about one one-thousandth of the time that they used to. Maybe one-tenth of the time. By the way, this is nothing against singleness. The best Christians who have ever lived are single people. St. Francis, St. Paul, Jesus himself, okay? This is just a picture. But then, Lord willing, if you stay true and gentle and joyful and loving with each other through all those middle years, what happens is you turn into those 85-year-olds walking back and forth to the jewel together. I see these people when they, st when they shop at the jewel. It's like they're holding hands in the cereal aisle, and then they whisper to each other, and they point at a box of cereal. And the old dude takes it down. I, it's like what happens if you stick through love long enough. Like the fire from your younger years gets imported into your older years. And it's even better, I believe. I'm not there. I mean, we're not there yet. It's even better, I believe, in the later side because of the way the years and the wars of marriage and being together and the persevering through misunderstanding and pain and blessing and victory, like being through all that fire makes it even more beautiful when you're 85 than when you were 18 or 25 or 35 or whatever. That's the picture, I think, of how we're supposed to be as a church. I mean, there are some of us in the room today who are still in young love with God. And we as a community need to totally honor that because we need that fire and heat and creativity and passion. Most of us in the room, like, hey, we've been like, oh, trudging, walking the path of faith for a long time. And we have moments, those flickers of the original passion of our first love, like they happen. And we have those who have been walking with Jesus for decades, who are so full of the beautiful fruit of the Spirit that they also are reclaiming that young love and fire and passion in their older years at the same time. 
This is why we all need each other as a community across the generations, both physical years and across the generations of faith, why we need you Christians who have been doing it faithfully for 70 years and those of you who are young in the faith, like if we are all moving in the same direction with the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit oriented toward Jesus himself, this is why I am excited about serving this place as a pastor. The potential of the gifts that God has and is pouring out on we as a people and the fruit, the beautiful spiritual fruit that exists from faithful living here, combining the wisdom of the old and the passion of the young, the sky is the limit for the potential good that God can do through this community. So in thinking all this this week, a very short and simple prayer has come across my spirit, which which is this. Jesus, I want to point to you. I desire to point to you. It's on the screens right now. It's on the bottom of the order of worship in your worship folder today. Uh, Those of you who are willing, like rip that sucker out, uh, tape it to your dashboard, magnet it to your fridge. Uh, I encourage you to make that a prayer this week. Jesus, I want to point to you as you flip your computer on, as you swipe your phone into its glowing active state, Jesus, I want to point to you. As you get out of your car in the parking lot at work, as you cross the threshold of your apartment or your host, Jesus, I want to point to you. When you say good morning to your people, when you fire up the coffee pot, when you tuck your kids or grandkids good night, Jesus, I want to point to you. Sometimes this will happen explicitly, by literally calling upon the name of Jesus. Other times, you don't even have to use words. Simply by exhibiting patience, gentleness, good humor, Consistency, good faith, the fruit of the Spirit. Like, people will notice. And people will ask, Jesus, I want to point to you. How do I know if I'm personally filled with the Holy Spirit? The best assurance that God is giving me life is that I have the desire when I look in my heart of hearts that I want to point to Jesus at least as much as I want to point to myself. How do I know if my church is filled with the Holy Spirit? If you look around and can honestly say, I see the gifts of the Spirit at this place where I go. And I see the fruit of the Spirit in people that I get to walk with. Jesus, I want to point to you. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, for those of us that have come to you recently, 
Fill us with your fire and with new dreams and visions and incredible gifts. God, for those of us who are in spiritual midlife, give us enough moments of sacred romance with you, God, so that we don't lose touch with the fire of our first love and keep growing in us through obedience and following the narrow way of Jesus, better and more beautiful fruit. And for those of us who are old souls and in the senior years of the spiritual life, give us a fresh desire to point to you with all the good fruit that you have grown in us through these many years. God, help Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church point to you. For Jesus' sake we pray. And everybody said... Amen. I'm going to invite the deacons forward in just a moment. We offer our tithes, our financial offerings at this point. Um, Friends, in the next two weeks, some really good things are going to happen here. Next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, there's going to be more than 100 preschoolers here for Little Lambs Vacation Bible School. A week from this Sunday, uh, we're going to tear everything down and set up Spring Hill Camp for 360 first through fifth graders, like the amount of spiritual potential for these 460 plus kids that are going to be here over the next two weeks is enormous. It's really hard to melt an old person's heart. It's really easy to have a young person's heart, a kid's heart, directed in exactly the right direction. So I ask for your prayers. And this is why we make our tithes and offerings so that we can do exactly these kind of things for the next generation for the good of the world. So be generous because God has been so generous with us.